like John said, my name is Alexandra and I am a recovered uh, drug addict. And so I guess I will maybe just start um, a little bit of a background on me and how I arrived at where I am today and all the while incorporating <clears throat> what fully conceding looks like um, in my life. Uh, so I'll just, actually, I'll just start um, in chapter three of the big book, uh, the talk of more about alcoholism. Most of us have been unwilling to admit that we were real alcoholics. No person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. Therefore, it's not surprising that our drinking careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove we could drink like other people. The idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. Uh, so for myself, um, I, it was probably just before uh, COVID happened in 2020, I had always been um, someone involved in, in drinking and using and whatever casually. And of course, at the time, never thought that there was an issue with any of those behaviors. And I was just doing what my peers were doing, or I was having a good time or enjoying my life or whatever that may have looked like. Um, but in, so in March, around March of 2020, I started to realize that like, maybe there was uh, a bit <laughs> of a problem. And the, the things that sort of identified to me that there was now a serious problem was the extent um, of my using, how much I was using, how often I was using, and the fact that it wasn't working anymore. Um, that's ultimately what sort of made me realize like, hey, there's something funny going on here. And uh, so when they talk about, you know, the persistence of the illusion that I, I can drink and use like normal people at that time, I didn't even realize like I was abnormal. I didn't understand um, what alcoholism was or, or what that meant, but I just knew um, that something was terribly wrong and it's centered for me mostly um, in the way that I was feeling in my head like things were crazy. Um, I was, I was paranoid. I was definitely restless, irritable and discontent. I felt like everything around me um, was crashing and I started isolating myself from all of the things uh, that used to bring me joy. So that was like definitely a huge indicator to me that there was, there was a big problem going on. Um, so thankfully I was, I felt, comfortable um, enough to reach out to peers in my life that were already in my life, thank God, um, to tell them, like, I think I have a problem with drugs and alcohol, and I think it's about time uh, that I go to rehab. Uh, so I, I'm so, so grateful for the resources and support that I had, you know, both are, like, in many levels, in my family, in my workplace, and um, members of the community that are, are good friends of mine as well, right? So that's where I started. I decided I was going to go to treatment and I was going to get rid of the drugs and, and everything would be fine after that because I didn't understand 
anything um, about what the disease of addiction looked like, the disease of alcoholism, and, and what my real problem was. Um, so I entered a residential treatment facility for 60 glorious days. I went in there kicking and screaming, and I had actually um, stopped using everything uh, probably almost three weeks before I actually entered the treatment facility. And those were the longest, most painful, most real three weeks of my life. Um, so I get into the treatment facility, there's counselors, there's yoga, there's food, there's boats, there's water and you know, everything. It, it could have been worse. I didn't go to the mission. <laughs> Let's put it that way, like some of our friends on the call. So uh, I really have nothing to complain about. I embraced um, everything that treatment had to offer for me. I did the activities, I did the self-care, I was in the gym, I was taking care of myself for the first time in my life. I was eating properly and regularly. Um, I was talking about things which up until that point was like unheard of. I, problem, my problems are my problems, you don't need to know them, I'm just gonna hold them all in because you're gonna use them against me somehow if I am vulnerable and let you know what's going on. Um, so I had a, a gold star standard experience at treatment and I, you know, in treatment, there was clinical stuff, there was education, there, there was 12-step fellowship um, groups. They, they ran meetings out of the facility. I think it was once a week um, and it wasn't, you, it wasn't mandatory. There wasn't a strong emphasis on it. It was sort of just do it if you want to, don't, if you don't. And so I did participate a little bit in um, a 12-step fellowships meetings and I could get up there and, and share at a very high level a few things and that was all it really was for me. Um, and so even once I exited the treatment center, I, I thought that I could just maintain all of the things like the self-care things that I had learned that, you know, if something was going on, I, I must've been hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And so I needed to go to sleep or I needed to work out or I needed to talk to somebody or I needed to change my environment or whatever. And so I went on, uh, I went on like that, um, still participating at a high level in 12-step fellowships, but certainly not embracing anything about it. I wasn't working the steps. I didn't have a sponsor and I was always intellectualizing why that was not going to work for me or why I didn't really have to do that. I could do it my way. I didn't have to do it that way. Um, and so that went along for about 20 months um, until that didn't work anymore. And I very quickly um, relapsed and my relapse went from like zero to a hundred as fast as could be because I had just been holding in <clears throat> all of this stuff and, and just like white knuckling my way through sobriety. Yeah, I, I stayed sober for 20 months, but I was screaming inside because I didn't actually realize um, the nature of my disease and what I was experiencing. So I had no idea about, um, I had no idea about the spiritual malady. I had no idea about the mental obsession and I had no idea about the physical allergies. And so thankfully, um, after a really, really horrible four months, um, I, there was sort of a, a catastrophic event in my life that 
brought me to yet another bottom. So in 2020, when I decided I was going to treatment, I had hit a bottom and I was, I was done and I, you know, there was no more and I wasn't going to do it anymore. But unfortunately for me, my, my rock bottom had a basement. Um, and that basement was far worse than where I was two years prior. Um, and thankfully, again, I have amazing supports in my life. I have good friends. And this time I knew um, exactly where I needed to go and exactly what I needed to do. Um, and so I decided to fully concede that, you know, I, I was not um, a normal person. I could never safely drink or use like anybody um, who is of the average variety. And so that brought me to um, a turning point to get into the, to the big book and to um, pursue the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And so, you know, my first step was admitting uh, that, you know, I knew, I knew there was a problem. I knew it wasn't very good, but I hadn't fully conceded, which is uh, something along the lines of like acknowledging something, but then reluctantly accepting it. So I had to come to a place where like, I knew that this problem existed, but now I have to, I have to accept um, that there's nothing that I can do about this. And so instead of fighting against it, I'm going to work with it. Um, so then uh, again, on in chapter three on page 30, we learned that we had to fully concede uh, to our inmost selves that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery. Um, sorry. Uh, so there, it, the first step tells me that I'm, I'm, an, I'm, sorry, admitting that I'm an alcoholic and that I'm powerless over alcohol, but also that my life is unmanageable and my life is not, un, my life is unmanageable, not just because of alcohol and drugs. My life is unmanageable, period, because at some point, and I can definitely identify that I started having feelings of, uh, like, feelings that would identify me as an alcoholic long before I ever picked up um, my first drug or my first drink. And that that was something that was just in me for a long time. So it makes sense that just getting rid of the alcohol and the drugs, that wasn't gonna fix those underlying issues, which I can now identify as a spiritual malady, an obsession of my mind and an allergy of my body. And it was the big book um, that helped me to understand this. So the delusion, it carries on, the delusion that we were like other people or presently may be has to be smashed. We alcoholics are men and women who have lost the ability to control our drinking. We know that no real alcoholic ever recovers control. All of us felt at times that we were regaining control, but such intervals, usually brief, were inevitably followed by still less control, which led in time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. We are convinced to a man, that means all of us, that alcoholics of our type are in the grip of a progressive illness. Over any considerable period of time, we get worse, never better. And, and I understand that very clearly. Where I was in 2020, that brought me to treatment. Fast forward to 2022, it was, it was worse. The using was worse. The, my brain was worse. The thoughts were worse. Everything was worse. And nothing got better because I stayed away um, for 20 months. And so 
I, as I, and I'm not going to say that it was easy or it was fun or it was whatever, but the first thing I really had to do was understand that I just had to accept um, that this, this is who I was. This is what my life was going to look like. And that if I didn't, if, if I wanted to live in, you know, misery and self-pity, discontent, irritability and restlessness, I could continue doing what I was doing. And I may or may not have, you know, maintained sobriety for a period of time, but this time I wanted to do something different. And so I wholeheartedly threw myself into working the steps with a sponsor. Um, I did my process the BBA way, which I highly recommend. Um, and it's through the process. And, and again, it wasn't, I, I wanted to, to stop and I wanted to try and take control of everything all along the way. Um, my third step decision was difficult for me first because I had to really um, understand that I did have prejudices against God or uh, spirituality or higher power creator, whatever it was that were blocking me from moving forward and from turning my will and my care over to this God. So I first had to take it back and, and really understand um, what God was to look like in my life. And that I didn't need, up until that point, I always had to intellectualize it all like, well, what's going to happen here? Or how, how is that going to work? Well, what, what does he do? Or I need to know all the things. And it was as I started letting go of that control of needing to know and needing to intellectualize and just really believing that there was something caring for me that loved me, that would forgive me for the things that I had done in my life, that everything could be okay on the other side of that. And I didn't need to understand what it was because I felt it working in my life. Um, as I leaned into the work, things got better. Um, and again, I pulled my will back at the fourth step, you know, like I was ready to face all my stuff and I was ready to do it. And then when I got there, it was like, it was almost like, It was almost like I was afraid to be happy and afraid to be free. So again, I pulled, I pulled back. I sat right there and I stopped. I rolled around in the pig pen for a while. And then with the encouragement of, you know, my peers, my fellows, and my amazing sponsor, <laughs> I got out of the pig pen and I got on the other side and I, you know, did my fifth step. I admitted to, to God, myself, and to another, the exact nature of my wrongs. And that's when I had a pretty profound, like, spiritual experience. It was right after five into six and seven because everything just clicked into place. Um... And so, whew, <laughs> this is a lot. Um, so yeah, so, and I also remember at the beginning of my journey was like spiritual experience. Like, how do I know if that's happening? What is that going to be? Like, is there, there, is there going to be like thunder and lightning? And am I gonna be rolling around on the ground? Like what exactly is gonna happen to me? Um, but for me, my experiences now looking back, my experiences happened gently and they happened 
in unlikely places at unlikely times. And it was those collection, that collection of experiences um, slowly over time that just led me to this understanding and an awakening, if you will. Um, so, you know, carrying on throughout the book, carrying on with my sponsor, and then it's like 12. Okay, so now I have to, I have to get, carry on and, and share with other people what I've learned. And I remember thinking at that time, like, ooh, I don't know if I can do this. Like, I'm probably going to screw people up. You know, I might not be qualified <laughs> for the job. But as I've, as I've gone Every day that passes in recovery, um, I meet people and I go to places and I experiencing I experience things that I would have never imagined um, were possible. And one of the greatest gifts for me that all came as a result of me conceding to the fact that I was like this, that I was born like this, I was always going to be like this, and that I had two choices to either, you know, feel sorry for myself and, and explain all the reasons why I needed to drink and drug and that that was the way I was going to live my life, or I could stand up and I could get into action and I could try and help somebody else. Um, that now all of that all of those experiences, all of the, that pain, all of that stuff that I've gone through in my life now became my most valuable resource. Because if I hadn't experienced those things, I wouldn't be qualified to try and share a message of experience, strength, and hope with someone else in the hopes that I can help transmit some sort of hope or, you know, help them understand that they're not alone, that, you know, like, this is, we are all in this together. Sorry, I'm just like blubbering along. But uh, I did, A Vision for You is like one of my favorite uh, chapters. People always ask me what my favorite chapter is and I, or what my favorite page is. And I couldn't really pinpoint it, but I've decided that it must be A Vision for You. Um, so on page 152 in A Vision for You, it says, we've shown how we got out from under you say yes I'm willing but I am I to be consigned to a life where I shall be stupid boring and glum like some righteous people I see I know I must get along without liquor but how can I have you a sufficient substitute and then yes there is a, a substitute and it is vastly more than that it is the fellowship in Alcoholics Anonymous there you will find release from care, boredom, and worry. Your imagination will be fired. Life will mean something at last. The most satisfactory years of your existence lie ahead. Thus we find the fellowship, and so will you. And how is that to come about, you ask? Where am I to find these people? You are going to meet these new friends in your own community. Near you, alcoholics are dying helplessly like people in a sinking ship. If you live in a large place, there are hundreds, high and low, rich and poor. These are future fellows of Alcoholics Anonymous. Among them, you will make lifelong friends. You will be bound to them with new and wonderful ties, for you will escape disaster together, and you will commence shoulder to shoulder your common journey. Then you will know what it means to give of yourself that others may survive and rediscover life. You will learn the full meaning of love thy neighbor as thyself um that's exactly like that could not 
better describe my experience um, that the the people that I've met throughout my journey in recovery, especially in 12 step fellowship, have been so wonderful and so caring. And these are like the most genuine relationships that I've ever had in my whole entire life. Uh, people will do anything to help you if they can. And that's part of how I live my life today. You know, love thy neighbor like thyself. I've learned that my role in life is not to serve myself. It's not about my ego. It's not about my self-centeredness. It's not about what I'm going to get out of life, but more about what I can contribute to life. And it's in that active contribution and that compassion and that belief and idea and visualization of unity between me and the rest of the universe. That is where I live in a place of contentment and joy and freedom. And the biggest freedom for me that has come from working the steps and working with others is a piece in my mind that I would have never, never thought possible. Um, and so I'm just super grateful <clears throat> that somebody cared enough to pass the message on to me. And in doing that, it helped me save my life. And I hope to be able to do that for other people. So I'm going to stop right there. <laughs> I'm going to be like, glad. Point to the ceiling. Thank you for letting me share, though.